Well, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 18. We'll read that together, and then we'll jump into the journey to Zion. David's journey to uh, kingship um, and uh, the, the struggles that he faced. Man, I, I tell you, I feel for David um, just trying to do the right thing and uh, having victories. And the guy who is supposed to be the leader, the mature one, the mentor, um, supposed to be walking with the Lord and he's getting jealous. And that's a danger in ministry. Uh, whether it's lay ministry or professional ministry, when we see God blessing and someone being used, it's human nature to say, hey, wait a second, I want to be in the limelight. I want the praise. I want the glory. And we have to recognize that early and run to the Lord and say, Lord, help me with this. You, you need to have the glory. Help me to praise you for the victory that this individual is uh, experiencing and continue to use them, start praying for that individual or those individuals. And it, it is difficult to stay mad or jealous of someone if you're praying for them and God works in the heart and you become genuinely interested in their success. Um, I listened to a podcast, I'm getting way off here, but I listened to a podcast, so does Pastor, by Craig Groeschel. Uh, you've heard of the Version app. Uh, his church started that, but he does a podcast on leadership. And one that I listened to recently said that a good leader is one that doesn't need control. He doesn't think about control. He thinks about empowerment. So how can I empower those I lead to succeed? But, uh, but a controlling leader is one who I got to know what's going on and I got to have my hands in what they're doing and control it and get the accolades. No, a good leader um, like David, unlike Saul, is one who says, no, I want to empower those I lead so they can be successful, give God glory. And that only makes the leader look good if the people under him are successful as well. All right, so let's read 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 9, and then we'll jump in. The Bible says this, 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 9, It came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David. That was a great gesture, by the way. It would have been probably a princely garment that he handed him, even uh, to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out, the Philistine being Goliath, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music, and the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. But what can, we have, but what can he have more than the kingdom? I think this was a bit of a stretch on Saul's part. I think that he ran to the conclusion that, oh, David's going to take the kingdom from me. 
The people like him more than me. If anything, Saul should have rejoiced and said, it is so good to have you on the team, David. And let's, let's work together and, and let's you know, rally the troops together and let's have victory together. And Saul, I think, missed a great opportunity here. Um, instead, he, he became jealous. He wanted to be in the limelight. And Saul eyed David from that day forward. How sad. So we see Saul's journey to Zion. Uh, it says that Christians will, as Christians, we will face temptations in our journey of faith. And David certainly faced an intense trial for an extended period. I mean, pretty much from this point forward, Saul was out for him. And it's going to get so bad that here David is just being an obedient servant, playing the harp for Saul, and he's throwing javelins at him. Uh, he tries to get the guy killed. He says, yeah, yeah, you want to marry my daughter? Sure. Uh, go and get 100 foreskins from the enemy. And he brings back 200. He was hoping that in the process, some Philistine out there would have killed him. I think that was the object. Uh, and Saul uh, sadly begins conniving and scheming when it, he should have been rejoicing at the victory that David was facing. And, and he, be, he just began to become so self-absorbed and pulled inside this dark hole and, uh, uh, and ostracized um, and isolated himself. It's just so sad um, what, what is happening here. Later, when David became king, he faced a great temptation and chose to sin. Talking about Bathsheba, of course. Throughout the lesson, we'll examine David's life, the consequences of his sin, and the steps he followed to restore his fellowship with a holy God. And so if David struggled with these things, I think we can certainly learn some lessons. These are the lesson goals. Seek the Lord in response to trials. We all face trials and what should be the first place we run to. And unfortunately, often we look for relief rather than what is the Lord trying to do. We'll read uh, later, I think it's actually our memory verse for this week. 1 Corinthians 10.13, probably know it. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. So it would, have been, it would have been best if during trials we look for that way and we look for the hand of God in the trial rather than maybe just looking for relief because it's when we look for relief that we often get off in the wrong direction and we find the wrong solution to our problem. Um, so whatever the temptation is, look for, okay, God, you're doing something and you've provided a way, and along that way, you're going to teach me something, right? Is, let me ask this. Is there a trial that you've faced, uh, and maybe if you don't have an answer right away, maybe you can chime in later. Is there a trial that you've faced, whether in the near or distant future, that the Lord gave you a way and you escaped but you learned a lesson that you would not give up for anything. The trial you'd never want to experience again, right? But, you, but God gave you something through that trial that just helped your walk with Him, helped you with others. I can look back to my experience with even just marriage and, and uh, some in the room know 
uh, that we eloped, of course, <laughs> uh, and how we repented of that and the Lord blessed and everything. Um, and, and the lesson that I learned through all that, I mean, wow, I wouldn't give up that lesson. I was young and made some mistakes, etc. Um, and the Lord has strengthened our marriage and strengthened the family relationship and how I've been able to help other couples. I'm a chaplain in the military and I see a lot of young couples come. I say a lot. I see couples come and he's getting deployed and they say, chaplain, I'm getting deployed in a month. Can you hurry up and marry us? I say, well, let's slow this train down and let's talk and let's meet and let's get the parents involved. Um, you know, had I been younger, I'd say, sure, absolutely, yeah, this will make you happy. But having gone through the things I've gone through, I realized that, wait a second, what you think could make you happy? This trial that you're facing, you know, you just want to be together. Um, there's a way. And maybe, you know, I, I've learned a lot so I can help others. Anybody else have anything? A trial that maybe you faced? Yes? Well, um, last June when COVID hit, I was doing my doctoral program I was actually flying there once a month for classes. Mm -hmm. And so everything went onto Zoom, and I had to prepare for my dissertation. So I had to um, type up about 10 pages for going before a committee, and it was like my argument for my hypothesis. And so it all had the, it all went onto Zoom. It all went, so I was like looking into this camera and, and, and started my, my what's called a capstone. And so I did that, and then the, the committee approved it. And so they said, go ahead and write your dissertation from this talk. But then when I started doing it, I started feeling like I, I lacked confidence. Like, it just started feeling so enormous, mm -hmm. enormously, like, like I, I, started, I started doubting that I could actually do it. And I, I, I was really struggling with, like, thoughts that I probably couldn't do it. And so God just kept putting, like, the admissions director contacted me and said, just write five pages a day. Mm -hmm. and, then, and this was like in August. She's like, just write five pages a day. And then other people started contacting me. And then over the course of time, it's been about 11 months, God probably put 40 people in my path to either cheer me on or mm -hmm. encourage me or actually help me with some of the difficult parts of, mm -hmm. like, the format of it yeah. that I just couldn't do. And I, a year ago, if you would have asked me if I thought I could do yeah. this dissertation, I would, have, I would have said no. Right. But then God put all these people in my path, mm -hmm. and each one had a role that I yeah, and it's, it's amazing how God brings the right people at the right time. And I can look at trials of my life where God brought people along to encourage me and strengthen me. And they've, we've built some great relationships as a result. And now we can walk through trials together. And that's actually something that's going to play into the message tonight with David. How, when did he get in trouble? When he was isolated. He stayed back. And he was all alone. And he didn't really have anybody in his life at that time that that's, could say to him, Hey, sir, you know, the direction you're heading, this isn't good. We need that. We absolutely need that. So, um, well, David's great trial. He's been anointed king. Um, he, he's killed the bear, the lion, and the giant. Um, the, the ladies sing his praises. He gets the daughter of Saul. The king's son is his best friend. 
Uh, he's in the palace. He's leading armies. Things are going fantastic. But yet, um, Satan was working overtime after these victories. And that's something that we have really got to be careful of. That as we have victories in our lives, we don't forget that the glory goes to God, of course. Um, and we see men and women who we thought were great champions of the faith who fell hard because perhaps they let their guard down. Um, the reason for the trial, in verse uh, 6 through 9, the Bible says this, And it came to pass, and that's your blank, by the way, the reason for the trial. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets with joy and with instruments of music. And of course they sang his, his uh, praises. He became more popular as as. The Lord blessed him. I mean, the people said, this is a great guy. You know, the Lord's using him. Yay, he's on our team. He defeated the Philistine. And this, they may have looked at him as somewhat of a savior. Um, and unfortunately, Saul just didn't care for that too much. Um, when, when other people's pra praises are sung, what does that do to us if we're honest with ourselves? Do we rejoice with them? Are we excited that they're having victory and growing and serving the Lord? Or are we the type of person that kind of struggles with, man, I wish people would sing my praises. We need to check our hearts constantly to be sure that we are giving God the glory. We have to beware of this, um, this covetousness. I, I don't want to say jealousy. Uh, was it Pastor Barber's message? Talking about God being a jealous God. And jealousy is a good thing when God says, hey, you're my people, I want your love. Um, but covetousness is what we often call jealousy today. And are we covetous and wanting the praise for ourselves? Two cows were grazing in a pasture when they saw a milk truck pass. On the one side of the truck were the words pasteurized, homogenized, standardized, vitamin A added. One cow sighed and said to the other, makes you feel sort of inadequate, doesn't it? Um, you know, the milk that you produce, you know, somebody's doing it better, you know? Um, and, and sometimes we do feel undervalued. And maybe, maybe you're faithful here at, at Ann Arbor Baptist Church. You know, you, you interpret, you clean, you whatever you do. Um, and maybe at times you feel, you know, nobody's really noticing me. No one has said thank you. No one, et cetera, et cetera. And that does hurt. I mean, as humans, we like to be at least appreciated and valued, right? Um, but there are, we have to remember that uh, our reward is, is in heaven. And those who stand up in pretense and serve the Lord for human accolades, well, they have their reward. Let's look to the Lord Jesus for our satisfaction. Um, and find someone with whom you can maybe share those, those woes and pray with you through it. And ask the Lord, Lord, give me the heart of David, not the heart of Saul. Lord, please save me from the heart of Saul. I don't want this feeling that I'm not appreciated to turn into a covetousness, covetousness and a bitterness that ruined Saul. When you look at the life of Saul, it, to me, it's one of the saddest stories in the Bible. The guy was the king of Israel. I mean, the Lord's hand was on him. 
He had Saul, uh, Samuel as a mentor. I mean, I think that that would be fantastic to have a guy like Samuel as a mentor, someone you could confide in and go to for help, and, and a man like David at your right hand. I mean, for crying out loud. Uh, you know, every pastor would kill for a guy like David as, a, as his associate pastor, right? Every, every president would, would kill for a guy like David to be the vice president on his cabinet. Uh, the guy was sharp. The guy was talented. The guy was, uh, God had his hand on him. And yet Saul let his covetousness and jealousy, bitterness ruin him. All right, so, so we know that what happens is Saul throws the javelin, tries to kill him. And there's David in the wilderness running around, you know, for his life, hiding in caves. And then all the ragtag come, come to David, right? Misery loves company kind of thing. <laughs> um, what was David's response to the trial? So we know the reason for the trial was that Saul was jealous. As God blessed him, um, we need to be careful that Satan's going to be working overtime using those victories to trip us up or to make others he'll just put things in our lives to try to remove us from the lord's work so what was his response to the trial well eventually uh he just decided you know enough is enough i'm just going to head to the land of the philistines i'm going to go seek refuge with the enemy um here's a question when is it right to run and when is it not when we're experiencing a trial when is, it, when is it good to run, <laughs> to hightail it out of there, and when is it not? I mean, how do we know the difference? That, okay, Lord, I'm going to stay under this trial, or I'm going to take this into my own hands and remove the trial. Well, how do we know the difference? Abraham kind of made a mistake there, didn't he? <laughs> Lord, you promised, and I still don't have a son, and my wife is complaining that we don't have a son, and, well... We can fix this. Honey, we can do this. Let's, let's do this. I think this is the Lord's will. And he ran from the trial, I guess you could say, but that was a big mistake. Bud, you had your hand raised? If you realize this trial is going to cause you to sin, then you probably ought to run. Yeah. If, if you think it's going to bring you into sin, run to the Lord, of course, and say, Lord, succor me, help me. Yeah, yes. I just think of Joseph. Yeah. He got oh, out. Absolutely. <laughs> there are times to just leave your coat and yeah. get out. <laughs> Yeah, and there, were, and, and there were consequences, right? He ran, and he, they, unfortunately, he suffered consequences, but he was right with God. And sometimes our reputation may suffer, or we may lose a deal, a financial deal, or, or a promotion, or whatever it may be, but you know what? God sees that. If we suffer, let it be because we are doing what is right, rather than because we are seeking relief and do what's wrong. I would say, I think... I think the right answer is the time to run is when it's a temptation. When it's a trial, you hold on to the Lord and He'll strengthen you through it. He will give you a way. But when it becomes a temptation, then you know it's time to book it. Well, I think you need to be versed in the Scriptures to know what is right and so when you know, something that comes that, that is evidently, you know, unbiblical or, or sinful, that's when you need to get yourself out of that situation, you know. The prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. But what does it say? The, the foolish pass on and are punished. 
Um, so there's something about being prudent, knowing, hey, this is right and this is wrong. This is good. This is bad. How do we get that prudence, that wisdom? It comes from seeking the Lord and asking Him for it and being versed in the Scriptures. And being, being here. I mean, us being here tonight, iron sharpens iron. The fellowship of the believers is going to help us to be thinking right. Um, we're going to bear one another's burdens. We're going to be helped through this. And so uh, our response to the trial needs to be run to the Lord. Don't seek that easy relief, that easy way out. Seek what God is doing through it. But if it's a temptation to do evil, and of course that's time to get out of that situation, whatever it may be. And I, I, I wonder if it was a good thing to run to the Philistines or not. I mean, that kind of opened a can of worms all of itself, didn't it? You know, he's, he's actually teaming up with the enemy and fighting. I mean, he's faking it. <laughs> he goes out and he actually fights like Israel's enemy and comes back and, where have you been today, David? Oh, I was beating up on the Israelites, you know? Uh, so he's, he's lying, he's deceiving, he's... Then he gets to the point where he has to fake being mad and he's drooling all over his beard and he gets kicked out. And I just don't know if that was the right place to run. Be careful that if we run from a temptation, that we don't run in the wrong direction. We don't run to the enemy. Yes? Who's older or wiser yeah. than you, they can help you discern Absolutely. whether you're trying to duck the trial or if you're running from a temptation. That's that is great. Was it my mom? You know, I'll call yeah. her. Oh, I don't know what to do. You are in despair. <laughs> Cut it out. Good right. work. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we need that good kick in the okay. pants, right? Like, was it was it Rehoboam? Am I getting my stories right? He listened to his peers, as opposed to the older, wiser mentors. Oh, you know, he had a big trial here. Oh man, what am I going to do? Am I going to? Am I going to listen to the people or am I going to show them who's boss? I've, I'm, I'm a young king and what do I do here? Well, the mentors were saying, listen and make it easier on the folks and be a good king. Let them love you and lead by love, etc. And his peers said, no, no, come down hard. Show them who's boss, etc. And so, yeah, be careful to whom we run. Have those mentors in your life. Yes? Just to call out something that was interesting, Cindy mentioned it, it's so true, that what is a temptation for me may yeah. not be a temptation for you. Absolutely. I, I can remember as a young man, I was, my parents were, young Christian man, my mm -hmm. parents were gone and I was for a week and I was at the house kind of watching things there and I had um, a couple friends over and they're like, Jason, there's beer in your dad's refrigerator. That's, you're going to be here alone. And I'm like, that is like no temptation. <laughs> last thing. I've yeah. never drank. Right. And I just have, it's like negative temptation mm -hmm. zone. Mm -hmm. Like, pray for me about the TV though. That's a yeah. huge temptation. Like, TV? Who cares about that? You know, it's like mm -hmm. nothing. It was just was funny that I was worried about, you know, making good choices with any yeah. kind of media options, yeah. but they were worried about this over here. Two yeah. totally different ways that the deceiver and yeah. the wicked, yeah. the, the enemy would seek to allure us, but it's. It's just interesting that we yeah. have our own individual weaknesses. Right, mm -hmm. and, and that's, you, you kind of triggered another thought where um, how do we know the difference, right? So um, would it be wise for, if, the, if he was home alone and there was a TV and the remote sitting right there, well, I'm just going to stay right here and bear under this trial. Oh, Lord, give me strength. Run! I mean, that's the time to get, that's when it becomes a temptation. That's no longer a trial. But if there's something in, the, in your life that is a trial that, 
okay, maybe you're tempted to lash out or to whatever, but you, it is a trial that really you can't remove. I mean, you stay under and you see what the Lord's teaching. Lord, give me strength. Run to Him. And Great illustration. People are going to struggle with different things. Um, so, 1 Samuel 22 and verses 1 through 2 say this, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all the father's house heard it, they went down thither to him, and everyone, <laughs> I love this, everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was dis, uh, discontented, uh, gathered themselves unto him, and he became captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. Now, this, this got me thinking. Um, was this good or bad, right? When we go through a trial, we certainly need the mentors, right? We need friends, we need succor, we need help. We need to surround ourselves with people who are going to point us to Jesus and say, hey brother, you can do this, you can win, let's get in the scriptures together. We need Christian fellowship and we need someone with whom we can share our struggles, right? Jason, you've mentioned that many times. You've had a brother who you can say, hey, I'm struggling with this, help me out, let's go to lunch, let's go have a Bible study, etc. We need that, absolutely. It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make a help meet for him. Um, and that applies, I think, to Christian brothers and sisters as well. But when, when okay, so I put down here, sucker or suck? <laughs> when is it that, that the people in your life are suckering you and helping you, and when is it that they just suck the life out of you, right? Misery loves company, and if we're not careful, this is what happens. Oh, man, I'm, you know, I'm struggling with bitterness because so-and-so did this. I know. I can't believe it. I'll tell you, let's have a prayer meeting and let's talk about this. And, and it, it, it becomes kind of this, you, you kind of uh, fester and, and the people in your life that are supposed to be helping me overcome and good Christian fellowship becomes this ugly, you know, just not good, uh, not healthy, I don't even want to call it fellowship. Uh, we need to be careful of that. These men were discontented and in debt and disgruntled and they ran to David because they knew that they, he was struggling with some of the same things. Now, I believe that David would have helped them to look to the Lord. There's a time with this same group of men in Ziklag where he, uh, you know, the city is burned and everyone's taken captive. And what do the people, what do the, the men in his company talk of doing? Let's stone David. It's all your fault. Well, you came to me. <laughs> like, what in the world? Um, so they, they talk of stoning David, but he finds rest in the trial. And I, and I, love, I love this. Um, throughout the trial, so let's back up, and we have the, the trial of running from Saul, and we have the trial here, of course, at Ziklag. Um, and... There were people in his life that Brother Chapel mentions here. Jonathan was a friend who helped him through, through a lot of difficulties. Um, I think David and Jonathan had a relationship that was uh, akin to maybe like John and Jesus. Very close and uh, that inner circle and, you know, passionate about the things of the Lord. And we need people like that. We really do. Um, and it needs to be... A, I, a believer, I think, that, that can uh, understand our struggles and our desire to serve the Lord and the attacks of the devil. 
um, friends and family. And, and maybe you don't have blood family that knows the Lord, but you have a family here at Ann Arbor Baptist Church. And by the way, if you're not on Slack, you need to get on Slack so we can communicate with each other. AABC Family Slack. It's a great way to share prayer requests and praises. Just today, uh, Jillian posted something and said, Rejoice with us because another bus kid got saved. That's fantastic. Like that's, that is so much more healthy than Facebook and all the junk that bombards you. You know, I use Facebook. I like Facebook. But uh, Slack has offered the church a, a venue where we can communicate and pray with each other and rejoice about that kind of thing. We need that fellowship, friends and family. He, Brother Chapel mentions Michael, his wife. That wasn't the healthiest of marriages, uh, but she did get him out of a, a bit of a spot there, you know, the, the classic pillows under the... I wonder if she'd done that before, <laughs> if she'd maybe snuck out at night and put the pillows under the sheets so dad wouldn't know, you know, I don't know. But she was pretty good at it. She put, um, she put the goat's hair and was it an idol, I think, in the, or something, in the, in the covers, um, and, uh, oh, no, he's sick in bed, you know. So she got him out of a, a, a thick spot there. He had friends and family, but I love 1 Samuel 30. Let's actually look at that together. This, I use this in counseling quite a bit, actually. Um, this is the story of, you know, the destruction of Ziklag, and um, the people in verse 6 um, talked of, or let's see, yeah, verse 6. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And there's a psalm where David is down and out and this is the principle that I use in counseling, that he, he encouraged himself in his God. How did he do that? It says, um, he said, um, oh, I forget exactly how the verse goes. I should have had it written down. But he said to himself, he said, O soul, why art thou cast down? Hope thou in God. And I, I think that who was talking to who? I think David's spirit was talking to his soul. Now, the way I look at it, I think we're three parts. I think body, soul, and spirit. Uh, some disagree, but I think that the part of him that had been, uh, that was connected with his God, uh, looked at his mind and his emotion and his will. We struggle there, don't we? We struggle with the thoughts. We, th we struggle with emotions. And sometimes our will, just it, we have a hard time getting it kicked into gear right? But our spirit says, hey soul, hey mind, emotion, will. Why are you down? Hope in God. I think David had the right theology here. He wasn't relying on his successes as, an, as a leader. He wasn't relying on his riches. Uh, he, at that point, he didn't have much because Ziklag was burned. His family was taken uh, and his army was talking about killing him. I mean, he was, this was one of the lowest points in his life, and he had the right theology. He, he, he hoped in God. He encouraged himself in his God. We need family and friends. We need right theology, because when we know the scriptures and we're thinking right, we do right. Otherwise, if we're not thinking biblically, if we're not in this book every day, 
being shaped by it, molded by it, immersed in it, the trials will come and our, our mind, emotion, and will will take over and we're going to be looking for the exit. We're going to be looking for the easy out rather than the Spirit saying, hold on, you hope in God. What's your theology teach you? What do the Scriptures teach you? What promises can you claim? You encourage yourself in your God. And we are able to bear through, not in our own strength, but in the strength we, we uh, receive, that resurrection power we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you say the body is the mind, emotion, and will, and that's the flesh, are you, are you equating the body? No, no, I'm saying the body is another part of us, and I think that the mind, emotion, and will, I'm calling, I'm calling the soul. I mean, there's, there's a lot of debate over, you know, the heart and the soul and, and different things, and I, I think that would be a discussion for another day, but um, our mind is still tainted by sin, and our emotions are still tainted by sin, and, our, and our, even our will. You know, Paul said, the things that I want to do, I find that I don't do. Well, there's still sinful influence there. But there's a part of us that's been born again or born from above that does not sin. And we need in that part of us to hope in God and to rely on the Holy Spirit to say, no body, no mind, you're going to think right, you're going to do right. And so it, the only way to do that is to be immersed in Scripture, bathe it in prayer, you know, be, be on our knees. And so I think that David had made a habit of that. I think David is a man who did his devotions. I think he spent time with God every moment he had. I think when he was out there watching his sheep faithfully, every spare moment he got, he, he was singing praise to God, writing down his thoughts about what the Lord was doing in communication with his God. And if we do that when the trials come and the temptations come, I mean, we're, we're, we're so well-versed, we, we know this is what's right. And our spirit is strong. And uh, we listen to it rather than the sin-tainted emotions. Um, so I asked this already, but when we're tried, what are we looking for? Are we looking for that quick relief or are we looking for God's hand? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. All right, so we found that he rested in trial because of his right theology, his friends, his family. Those, there were people in his life that could help him. He hoped in God. Let's look at David's great temptation. We saw his great trial and it's sad because whenever we hear the name of David, there's, there's maybe three or four names that we typically think of. Think of David and Goliath. I mean, every Sunday school kid knows that one, right? What's the second name that typically comes up with David? David and Bathsheba. I mean, it's just, you know, you might think David and Saul, David and Samuel, David and Jonathan, but it's typically David and Bathsheba. And it's, it is sad that one... one um, moment in life can define you for thousands of years in this case. But God gave this story to us for a lesson, and I appreciate David coming through this. We see David's lapse. Second Samuel 5 says, So all the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron, and King David made league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed King David over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. And it came to pass in chapter 11, verse 1 through 5, after the years expired at the time of the kings go forth to battle. And I'm sure you've heard a message on this. He was supposed to be out there with his troops, right? 
Now, I don't know the, the, the circumstances here. Maybe he was on sabbatical. I mean, I think it's wise to take a rest now and then. He was a young man, um, and he was lots of life left in him, um, but we all need a break. Was this the right time? Was it the right place? I don't know. Um, but we know that he was isolated, and that's the danger. Whether, whether it is that we're taking a much-needed break. I mean, I, I, can, I can hardly blame the guy for, you know, getting alone and maybe spending some time with the Lord and getting away from the busyness of the job. You know, I don't, I don't know if I can fault David. I've heard a lot of messages that say, oh, David should have been out to war. Maybe he should have been. It was the time when the kings went to war, right? Had he been there uh, around his troops and, you know, doing his business, this temptation would have never popped up. But he was back home, he was on his rooftop, he looked out and he saw this woman. And yes, he was. Yes, absolutely he was. Twice. <laughs> uh, yes, four times at this point. Abigail. And I don't know the exact timeline. I'd have to do some research as far as at this point, because he didn't have Bathsheba yet for sure. Um, that's another wife, he added. So, at his own house, he was at the king's house. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, he was—he uh, should have been out when the kings go to war, and he's taking a break up there on his rooftop. Looks out, sees Bathsheba, and isolation can be so very dangerous. Now, Jesus came apart, right? He went and spent time with the Lord, but he didn't stay there, did he? For for you know, weeks and weeks and weeks or whatever. And he, he, he had people in his life and, he, and, you know, he was busy about the Lord's work is what I'm trying to say. But if we get to the point where even if, okay, you can be present in church, but you can still be isolated if you know what I mean. You can pe keep people at arm's length and you can kind of not let them pry into your life. And it's very easy to start to hide things that if we had people in our life and the pastor in our life and praying and, and, and sharing and boy, those things are more difficult to hide and that's a good thing. We need that kind of exposure. As a young man with the struggles that I had, the only thing that gave me victory was that exposure saying, I need help. Lord, give me people in my life that will hold me accountable, right? But it's when people say, oh, I got this. I can, I can, I can have victory there they lost right there and and i wish that the people that david had put people in his life even in during vacation right that could help keep him accountable this story blows my mind we have david's lapse um he goes to his rooftop and of course he looks um his look he sees her he looks at her he lusts after her Watch this in 2 Samuel 11, verses 3 through 4. This, this has always kind of confused me. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers. And I'm thinking, who are these messengers? Now, maybe they were shaking in their boots saying, I can't tell the king he's wrong. I don't know what business he has with Bathsheba. I'm just going to do what I'm told and keep my head down, right? But I, I, I've often wondered, was there anybody with, with the gumption to say, King, O oh King, live forever. But King, please, 
Consider your ways. Is this, I mean, it, it looks bad, sir. I, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to assume everything's, you know, above board. I'm just saying, sir, this looks bad. And I want to be a help. Just saying. And I wonder if someone maybe had just spoken up. Could David have been spared? Right? He uh, certainly, he certainly could have. But, but yep, absolutely. And, and in that day, of course, the king's word was law. Um, but when it comes to doing right, there's a place and a time. Now, I don't think that the correct response would have been necessarily at this moment in time to publicly stand up and say, King, you're doing wrong. There, there's, there's a more tactful... We actually see that Nathan, when he comes later to call David out, I, I think that man bathed that in prayer. I think he said, Oh, God, he could kill me. God, help me. Help me to be tactful. Help me to... to um, oh, yeah, that's a great story, Lord. I'll use that one, right? I think God gave him that. How many battles have been lost because we approach... We, I think we wanted to do right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to this guy. This isn't right. He's doing wrong. And we just... We skipped the story and we stuck our finger in the... You know, we, I, love, I love the sermons. And Nathan the prophet came down into the palace and he stuck his bony finger in David's face. He said, Thou art the man... Okay, but did he barge open the doors and come in and do that? No, he came in and he said, David, I, I would like to tell you a story. He was very tactful. And he got David thinking and he got David angry. And then he said, David, you're the guy. You're the one. And I think that Nathan, because of his tact and because of his wisdom, was able to get David to the point after a year's time to say, you're absolutely right. I'm ready to repent. And I wonder how many battles have been lost because we're the hero and I'm going to smash sin and we come in and we point the finger and we haven't bathed it in prayer at all. We just barge in, we're going to fight the battle. Who was it that, that said, hey, we're going to go and attack this, this city. We don't need to pray about this. We're just going to go get them. And it was an utter failure. <clears throat> Grab water. So I, I think... Uh, coming back to this, I, I just I do wish that one of the messengers maybe had said something. Yeah. I believe that the pattern he had set up in his interactions with women before this didn't help. Mm -hmm. So I did find in Second Samuel chapter three that he already has at least six wives by this time, and we yeah. know mm -hmm. in Deuteronomy God clearly said the king shall not, shall not multiply to himself horses or wives. I and love that. Didn't, and <laughs> in this list of six wives is not Michael. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you were saying before, was he right to be in Ziklag? Well, I'm guessing that if he had to be in Ziklag, he should at least take Michael with him. Mm -hmm. You know, the place for a wife. Yeah, that marriage really just fell apart. Um, and if, if, his wife, if he had, you know, taken her along and said, this is my wife, this is it. I'm going to have one, I'm going to be mm -hmm. a one-woman man. He did not set himself up for that. Yeah. He set himself up by saying, oh, she's pretty, I'll have her, yeah. and she's pretty, I'll have her, and she's pretty, I'll have mm -hmm. her six. Yeah. So it's not like he had before this been virtuous of saying, "Sure, this is not for me. Right. I just listened to the audio book Around the World in 80 Days. I do that when I'm running. It takes my mind off the pain. And there's a, there's a story where they're going through Utah on a train, and... Uh, 
The train is leaving the station and this man runs and jumps on the train out of breath and he collapses onto one of the, the chairs and Passepartout, the Frenchman, the, the servant of Phileas Fogg, he says, boy, you must have escaped some terrible domestic situation. How many wives did you have? And he said, one, sir, and one was enough. <laughs> yeah. You know, God designed one man, one woman. We all know that for one lifetime. It's, it's a beautiful relationship. But we're both sinners. And when you put two sinners under the same roof, there's going to be issues, right? We need, God, we need God's help to navigate that. And uh, how David was able to divide his time, I, I, I don't understand. He wasn't, he wasn't good at that. And we see it in his children. He wasn't good at dividing his time amongst his wives. And he wasn't good, I think, dividing his time amongst his children, unfortunately. And it, I think there were probably rivalries. You know, yeah, I, I, we're human. And if you're trying to divide your love with one man, I just, that, that, it just doesn't work. And then the children, and, and we even see that um, with Hannah, her antagonist, you know, the other wife, you know. You, somebody had their hand raised. Yes? Value. I, I think there's, it's great to attend a local Bible church and join a local Bible church and attend regularly, but we all know, you, and you as a pastor maybe know, that you can sit and tune it out. Oh, absolutely. Kids yeah. can, and even adults can. They can, mm-hmm. they can just tune it out. And there's technology, technological devices where you can. You can have ear, ear pods in and cell phones on, and, and they're just they're people that can attend here and not listen. Mm-hmm. So there's great value in regular, daily Bible devotions, and you absolutely. can then you can see what happens to people in the Bible that don't follow God's plan, that don't follow mm-hmm. His advice, and and. And, you know, if David had maybe spent a little more time uh, in, in the Word or studying or, li- or reading, he could have seen what would happen to him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's a, it's a tragedy of mm-hmm. first magnitude what happened to him. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of the saddest things, we'll, we'll, I think we'll get to that tonight is, what time is it? i got 10 minutes. Well, no, what time do we typically go to? Not, it's kind of loosey-goosey, the 7 o'clock. All right. We look at David's sin here, and I wrote it down. How does our sin hurt those around us? And, you know, we believe the lie. We believe a lie from Satan that this is my sin, and it's not going to hurt anybody else. It's, it, you know, I can handle this. I can. That, is the, uh, that is one of the worst lies that mankind has ever bought. Uriah is murdered. That's the first hurt. I think of Bathsheba. I think of, you know, the messengers go to her house, knock on her door, and the king has sent for you. Maybe they sent gifts, and maybe they had her, you know, on a, one of those, what do they call those things? I don't know. I mean, maybe it was, you know, oh, the king wants to see you, and this is great, and gave her, you know, uh, a nice, nice outfit, or who knows, right? Ate well, and spent the, night, spent the night with the king, and then it says, and she went home. And I wonder, I wonder if she, what's that? destroyed a kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. This, this sin went down yep. for 2,000 years. Yeah. It, it's been horrible yeah. for the Jews. And, and I wonder if, if that evening she walked back home with her head hung and saying, boy, it started out so nice. What have I done? My, my husband is away at battle? That's true. Well, I, I think she had a choice. It may have meant her life, but she had a choice. I, it doesn't seem to say that she was raped or forced. 
I think that there was a consensual relationship going on here. I could, of course, be wrong because the Bible doesn't really peel back the layers of the onion and say so. Um, but there are instances in the scriptures where someone stands up to the king and says, I, no, I live forever, O king, but Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They said, we are not careful to answer you, king. We don't have to think about this. With all due respect, I'm not bowing down to that image. Exactly. And, and they knew. I mean, it was already spelled out. If you do not bow down and worship, you are going in the fiery furnace. And they said, burn us if you will. We are doing right. And Bathsheba could have said, I am going to honor my vow to my husband. I am going to do right. I am not doing this, David. And you, if you kill me, you know, I, I, she definitely had a choice. And so did that messenger I mes- mentioned earlier. And, that, and that's the thing. Talking about the message this morning, what is it that we value? Are we, are we more interested in the short-term gain? Well, this will ruin my reputation if I say anything. This, I could get in trouble. I could lose my position. I could lose my life. Yes, but the thing that David did, the Bible says, displeased the Lord. And if we're valuing that above everything else, then we're willing to lay it all down on the line to say no. Joseph went to prison and was forgotten for two years, lost everything he had. I mean, he was already low. But he ran out of there because he said, nope, I'm not doing this. You could say he didn't have a choice because she was his master's wife and, you know, what can he do? He's just a lowly servant. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do right. So we always have a choice to do right. Now, of course, yes, the king could have forced her, killed her, whatever. And that would have been unfortunate. But David's sin hurts her, hurts her child. The child dies, hurts Uriah. I imagine it hurt the other soldiers. When you got that message... This is really sad. Joab, he was a rascal. <laughs> he was, but he realized. <laughs> but he realized. My, my king is. He's a murderer. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, and and he tried to hide his sin, and on and on and on and on. One of the best things that's ever happened to me, um, besides my salvation, is my children. My wife and I have three beautiful children, and praise God, they're healthy. And there are days when I look at them and I think, Oh Lord, spare them from the, the my sin. Lord, please help me to walk with you and do right. Lord, I, I have to get into the Scriptures daily like you. I mean, it is, talk about the best thing for my devotions. It's my kids. Because I'm like, Lord, I want to see them. When they come down in the morning, I don't want them to see me on my phone. I, see, I want them to see me in the Word. I want them to see me quoting Scripture and reacting with biblical reactions, Right? I see them react sometimes and go, where did you, yeah, you probably learned it from me. <laughs> but I want them to see Jesus in me, right? And if we're not consistently in here, we're going to stray. We're going to look for the easy way out of the temptation or the trial. We're going to run. We're going to gather other miserable people and complain and, and fester and on and on it goes, cover our sin, and we're going to hurt the ones we love. It's going to have an effect. And so what, who, who does our sin hurt? And then I think later on in David's life, we're not there yet, but of course he numbers the people. And was it Joab said, don't do this. This is wrong. You know you're not supposed to do this. I'm the king. I know what I'm doing. How many thousands of people died? I mean, so sad. Our sin does not only affect us. I, I thought of... Um, who was it that I was recently t- thinking about? 
But even, even a marriage that falls apart, and it happens, and God can forgive, restore, etc. But I think of those children, the, the, the consequence in their life as far as, okay, now I'll be probably living somewhere else. And it, it, it just, it complicates things, and sin just has consequences. If I, even if I have a healthy marriage, but I don't treat her well, I say healthy, even if we stay together and I don't treat her well, is that going to be a consequence on my children? Absolutely. If I go to church and I sit and tune it out, is that going to have a consequence on my children? Absolutely. And if we blatantly sin and try to cover it, I mean, who are you kidding? Uh, it's going to have a consequence. So, we see David's lapse, we see his lust, and of course, lust when it conceives brings forth sin, and sin when it is finished brings forth death. Really, even if we don't physically die, I mean, it's just, it's death. It, it kills. It kills our um, love for Christ, it kills our soul winning, it kills our, our motivation to raise our children for the Lord, sin kills in every way possible. And when Satan said, thou shalt not surely die, liar, liar, pants on fire. I mean, he, he was such a liar. And we experience death today in so many different ways. Um, physical death, spiritual death, um, and, and the list could go on and on of what spiritual death actually means for us today because we didn't listen to God. And so as a result of David's lust, he loses big time. David loses. Th listen to this quick short list here. David also suffers severe consequences in his family life. We mentioned this. Notice the tragic events that came as a result of David's sin. The death of the infant, 2 Samuel 12. Amnon. Ah, what a horrible, horrible situation. He rapes Tamar, his sister, and then, of course, Absalom is furious that David doesn't really do anything, and so he murders his brother Amnon. And then Absalom, uh, Absalom is killed by Joab. I mean, just terrible. So I've got a daughter who's raped by her brother. I've got one kid who kills another kid. And then I've got my general who kills my kid. I mean, just tragic. Amasa, David's nephew, was killed by Joab. And on and on and on it goes. And David in Psalm 51 begs the Lord, return unto me thy salvation, right? No, return unto me the joy of thy salvation. When, when, when we sin, it kills, it steals our joy. We know it and we're in the depths of it to say, Lord, I've done wrong and this feels awful. There's a sermon by John R. Rice. I love John R. Rice. You ever listen to his preaching? He cries in almost every sermon. <laughs> Very passionate about soul winning. And he preaches a sermon called All of Satan's Apples Have Worms. And they're, they're nice and shiny and juicy looking and you bite it and uh, there's this juicy thick worm sticking out. You know, half of one anyway. Uh, Satan tempts us with all the beautiful, wonderful things we could have. But we don't see the rot and stink and death of sin. David experienced it. Now, lest you be discouraged, <laughs> this story is here for us, that it might encourage us to do right. 
We look at the failures of Israel even before this, the failures in the wilderness, the murmurings, the complainings. Um, they're there for us so that we can look and say, I don't want to go down that path. Uh, David was a, a mighty man, but Satan knew exactly what, what to put in his path to trip him up. Solomon was a very wise man, but Satan knew exactly what to put in his path to trip him up. Um, and so we need to constantly have that fear or that respect that that could be me. I would be a fool to think that I couldn't fall in the same exact way. I have to have my dukes up, my guard up. Um, it's a lifelong battle, unfortunately, as we live in this flesh, and we have to just stay constant in the Word. I love the song that says, Fight manfully onward, uh, dark passions subdue, each victory will help you some other... No, I didn't get that right, did I? Each victory will help you some other to win. That's not right, is it? <laughs> did I get it right? Anyway, somebody find a hymnal real quick and look up the words. Each victory will help you some other to win is, is the point. As we face trials and we have a victory, we're, str we're stronger. We can, we can, we're better equipped to face the next one, Right? So rejoice in the trials because God is doing something. But never get to the point where you say, man, I've had enough struggles. I'm strong enough. I'm just going to take a break. Because that's exactly when Satan says, I got him. He's just waiting for that opportunity. Satan doesn't take breaks. He is out to destroy this church. He wants to split us right down the middle. He wants scandal. He wants jealousy. He wants bitterness. He wants... Uh, whatever it may be, to destroy this church and these families. And we have to look at David and say, it happened to him. It can happen to me. I've got to guard myself. I've got to stay in the Scriptures. I've got to walk with the Lord. And I've got to help Josh and Jason and, and everybody else in this room need to team up together to say, let's, as the people of God, as a family in Christ, encourage each other, pray for each other, um, and, and let each other look into our lives so we can keep each other accountable. That's what a family does. And, and I wish that Jonathan had been there for him at that moment. I wish Jonathan could have put his arm around him and say, David, I know she's pretty. Don't you have enough wives already, pal? Hey, come on. Let's go, let's go shoot some bows and arrows. Let's go do something fun. Let's, let's get out of here. Wouldn't it be great if when you were under that trial, you can call someone here and say, hey, Brother Shane, I'm going through it. Would you pray with me? Would you, can we get together and shoot some hoops? Can we, you know, whatever, go to lunch, whatever. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to fellowship with each other, encourage each other, bear one another's burdens, lift each other up in prayer. Ephesians chapter 6, have on the armor of God. We're, we're, we're standing shoulder to shoulder, fighting this battle, and if you see a chink in somebody's armor, you can say, hey, uh, Pastor CJ, you, you forgot your belt. Put on your belt, put your helmet on. Put, pick up that shield. And it says having the sword of the Spirit, right? And then it says praying always. We're praying for each other. Lord, help us to stand strong against the devil's attacks. Help us to win. And that's what a, a family does. I wish Jonathan had been there for him. He loses big. We need others in our lives who can confront us. Welcome this. When someone comes to you and says, hey, I noticed that you, know, you had a little bit of an attitude with so-and-so, or I noticed X, Y, and Z, don't get upset by that. Welcome it. Say, thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. I knew it was wrong. 
and I need to go back. Or I didn't see that. Thanks. I, I'm going to watch out for that. Um, and then, of course, in, um, we, we see David's triumph, and it's because of a bold prophet named Nathan. Could Nathan have been put to death by the king? Absolutely he could have. But I love Nathan because he says, I'm going to do right. I'm going I'm to go call out his sin. But he didn't barge in there and kick the doors down and, you know, slap the drink out of David's hand. and You listen to me, pal. He didn't do that. He walked in reverently, I think. And it says in 2 Samuel 12, verse 1, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor, and the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and it did eat at his own meat, and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto him, a rich man, unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come unto him. And David's anger was greatly kindled. I love this story. It was so tactfully crafted. I think the Lord helped Nathan in this. And he came, I think, reverently as to the king, which was appropriate. We need to be careful about that. And I'm guilty of this. We look at our leadership. <laughs> and we are very quick to say, that guy, you know. Should there still be a sense of reverence because God sets up kings, God takes down kings? Were, were um, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego... Were they respectful to the king? I think so, right? But they weren't going to budge. And they called it out, said, this is sin. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do right. And there's a time and place when we say, hey, leader, you're doing wrong. And the judgment of God is going to come down on you. But, but uh, I think Nathan did approach respectfully as to the king. He had bathed this in prayer. Wouldn't you have? If your job was, hey, you know David sinned. You need to go talk to him. What? <laughs> Me? Ugh. I think he, he was on his face in prayer. And he had tact and wisdom. Um, I can't read my own handwriting. Oh, how many battles have we lost because we've rushed in? I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to call this out in righteous indignation. But yet we haven't sought the Lord. We haven't prayed over it and said, Lord, help me in this. And maybe in some ways we're kind of proud in it. I'm going to call this guy out because I'm the righteous one. Um, we need to be careful lest we fall into it as well. And so, of course, Nathan calls him out. It's a righteous confrontation. Sorry about that. I'm, if you, did I miss any so far? Got all the blanks? Great. A righteous confrontation. He says, thou art the man in 2 Samuel 12, 7 through 9. Maybe you can think of a time when You've been called out by somebody in your life. And maybe at the moment, it was not pleasant. And you, if you could have, you'd have socked them in the nose and it would have felt pretty good. But looking back, you probably are rejoicing, saying, thank God for that, that guy, that gal that came and called me out. I needed that. And are we willing to be used as such? That's not fun. If you've ever had to confront somebody, oh, I mean, it's just a sick feeling in your stomach. You think, oh, this would be so much easier to just let it slide. Is it real? Do I, I mean, yeah, we should. And when we do, often the bond between those two people is so much deeper and stronger 
because we decided we're going to call them out in love and in meekness and humility. He says, Thou art the man in chapter 12, verse 7. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. He reminds him of his past graces and mercies. I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if thou had been too, if that had been too little, I would have moreover had given thee such and such things. Whereof hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord? Why, David? Why? To do evil in his sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and has taken his wife to be thy wife, and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. How sad. But when David repents, it was a real confession. God gives beauty for ashes. And we have Psalms like Psalm 51, For I acknowledge my transgression, my sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when, they, when thou judgest. We have psalms like, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. God gave beauty for ashes. And today we can talk about this and equip ourselves and equip our children and be there for each other so we don't fall into the same type of temptation and sin. I think God has given numerous victories since then because of this. Because God, we were able to look back at this story and say, Guard yourself. So thank God that he included this. A restored kingdom. God preserved David's life and continued his kingdom. It is interesting how God let David continue to be king, whereas with Saul, he says, God has rent the kingdom from you. But I believe the reason for this is because of this. A real confession. I mean, Samuel had to really, it was like pulling teeth to get a confession out of Saul. You know, yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Oh, well, then what means this bleeding of the sheep? Uh, I thought God said to the show, what's that sound? Oh, well, the people. I mean, excuse after excuse after excuse. And we see Saul's true character. I mean, he's chasing down David. He even repents to David and then goes right back to it. Isn't that, isn't that funny? David, you're more righteous than me. I'm so sorry for trying to kill you. What was it, a week later? <laughs> he's back at it. I mean, he's still chasing the guy down. He's still jealous. He's still, still trying to take out David. Um, instead of just, you know, confessing and saying, Lord, I have been wrong, and, it, and if you take the kingdom, so be it. Lord, I will serve you until you take me out of this position, if that's what you want. Lord, I'm sorry. I'll restore David. Um, no, he, he gets so bad, he starts looking at after witches for their advice. I mean, how, how sad. It was a law in the land. I think the king was responsible for the law. Kill the witches. Hey, witch, come here and give me some advice. Um, ends up, what's that? Oh, absolutely. It, it drove him mad. I mean, it, it totally controlled him. And that's the difference. David was not controlled by his emotions. His spirit said to his emotions, hey, hope thou in God. Whereas Saul, he had no control. What does the Bible say about a man who doesn't have control over his soul? He's like a city without walls. And Satan was able to go right in and take over the center of, the, of Saul's heart. All right, so he has a restored kingdom. Um, and David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day of the Lord, 2 Samuel 22. 
The Lord hath delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, the God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord. That was the difference. David called on the Lord. Not, oh, please, Samuel, bless me in front of the elders and the people because I need them to follow me. I need control. I need the power. No, David was broken and said, I've sinned against you, Lord. And David was restored because of his true repentance. I will call on the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. He had the trial with Saul, the temptation with Bathsheba, and the triumph through his repentance and confrontation with, with Nathan. And when he repented and became low, that's when David was the highest. That's when the Lord lifted him up. No matter where we are, it's good to know that when we turn to the Lord, there he is. When we draw nigh to the Lord, he will draw nigh to you. There's strength available to us through the temptations and trials. There's the word of God that, that if we just apply, we, we'll, we'll escape a lot of the temptations, right? Um, and thank God for the promises that will be restored. But let's take, let's take the story of David and, and, and use it to guard ourselves against such things so we don't have to come to that point where we're broken in repentance. Now, we repent every day because, of course, sin is in our life, right? We say, Lord, I was wrong here. Forgive me. Short accounts with sin. But I'm talking about, um, I mean, this was disastrous. This was a big one, humanly speaking, right? Murder and adultery. Can that happen to me and you? Yeah, absolutely. So let's take this to heart and keep our guard up. Let's stay current in our relationship with the Lord every day in the Word, and let's bear one another's burdens. Let's get to know each other in a way that the Lord would have us to and encourage each other to do the right thing. Well, let's pray, and uh, that'll, be, that'll be it for tonight. Lord, thank you for this story of David, his great trial, uh, his temptation and failure, but also his restoration. Lord, because he, he repented and he sought you. Lord, I don't want to make those kinds of mistakes. I want to learn from this. I don't want to isolate myself. I want godly people in my life. I, wanna, I want the prudence and wisdom of the Holy Spirit so that when I recognize temptation, I run. Lord, when I'm t uh, un in a trial, help me to bear under and look for the way of escape, look for the lesson that you're trying to teach. And Lord... Of the sins of which you convict me, Lord, help me to be quick to repent. And Lord, if there's someone that I need to confront, uh, Lord, give me the courage and the strength and the tact and the wisdom and the love that I need to do it correctly so that I might win them back. Lord, only you can do these things, so we trust you for it, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.